Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com. You can like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. And it would be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you get the podcast. I'm going to remind you until it happens. Sketchy Peter is coming back live and in person in Philly on Sunday, February 19th at 2 p.m. We're heading to Tattooed Moms on South Street just like we have the last couple of times. It is a bar, it is 21 plus, but come on by, grab a drink, grab a chicken sandwich at the bar, and let's read some sketches. Sketchybater.com is where you'll find all the info, there's a Facebook event, and everything is there. Today's guest is Colin Mahan, one half of The Great Difficulties. I talked to his partner Mike Spiegelman last week, so this week we're finishing the set. Colin's currently based in Florida, but this weekend he'll be heading back to San Francisco. The Great Difficulties will be performing at SF Sketchfest along with Please Leave the Bronx on Sunday, February 5th at 8pm at Piano Fight. It's a cool show featuring two acts who performed at the first SF Sketchfest over 20 years ago. Colin is also doing a solo show called Colin Mahan Himselves on Friday, February 3rd at the Piano Fight second stage, along with Gold Baby and Strong Male Leads. Info for both of those shows can be found at sfsketchfest.com. And I said it last week with Mike. I'll say it again. Mike and Colin have been coming to our Sketchybator on Zoom almost since the beginning, since we've been doing it. So it's been cool to see how their set has evolved and how they've rewritten, especially since this show was supposed to happen last year and SF Sketchfest got canceled. All right, fair warning. I know the podcast is called My First Sketch, but Colin's first sketch that we're doing today is not really his first sketch. It's his oldest surviving sketch that he could find, and it's over 20 years old, so I'm counting it. It's my show. I can do what I want. The sketch is titled Movie Theater Revenge Fantasy. Colin reads the roles of Selfuck, a person who's constantly on their phone. He plays the usher and the movie man. That's the name of the script, but it's really just someone who wants to enjoy a movie. I read the roles of the a reviewer, the mother, and I'll give you whatever visual information that you need to know. So let's go to the sketch. Interior movie theater. Cell fuck and reviewer sit one behind the other in the theater. Movie man enters and sits. Enters the mother with a baby who cries sporadically. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love movies, you know? You know what movie I love? All Dogs Go to Heaven. I lambasted that movie on Amazon and IMDb. Look for customer reviews from Deep Eyes 237. But Burt Reynolds sang. It lacked post-ironic detachment. You unpatriotic scum. Haven't you heard? Irony is dead. The movie man leans in trying to be polite. Um, excuse me, but you guys aren't going to talk during the movie, are you? Only when I'm on my cell phone. Only when I have an opinion. Only when I'm loud. The movie starts and plays continually in the background for us to sketch. In a world with things happening. Hiss! Boo! Hey, can you keep it down, please? No. When people watch the movie, they're not giving me enough attention. Baby starts crying and the cell phone rings. Yawn. Boring. But but what if someone else is enjoying this movie? I forbid it. My opinion will be heard. Baby cries again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hello. Yeah, yeah, I'm on the theater. I'm in the theater. I don't know. I don't know. Some movie. Uh, Excuse me. Can you please be quiet? I'm a doctor. I'm on a call. Baby cries again. Excuse me. Can you please quiet that baby down? How can you expect a baby to be quiet? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe when it's elsewhere. How can you expect a baby to watch a movie? Baby not need see movie. Baby not get adult concept. What's adult concept? <laughs> the mother turns angrily back to the movie Reviewer sits sits up and looks around the audience. <laughs> I get that obscure literary reference. I'm laughing heartily at the obscure reference. Everyone, I get it. The baby cries and the cell phone rings. 
Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm still in the movie. <laughs> it's about some guy. I don't know. He's doing something. I don't know. It's kind of hard to follow. Will you please get off the phone? It's a medical emergency. If you don't get off the phone, you'll need a colonoscopy to find it. The reviewer pulls out a cigarette and begins smoking. You're smoking? There, There's no smoking in movie theaters. You're getting more attention than me. I will not be ignored. Selfa continues murmuring into his phone. The baby's crying. Woman, silence that baby. Stop infringing upon my right. What right? Your right to infringe upon my rights? Selfuck's phone rings. Baby cries and mother pulls out a book and begins reading loudly from it. I do not like green eggs and ham. No, I'm not googly noogs. You're googly noogs. No, no, no. You're googly noogs. Yeah. I do not like them, Sam. I am. <sighs> what a ripoff. The crotchety bald biplane pilot was first done in the seminal 1979 conspiracy film Capricorn 1. No, you're schmuggle nuggles. The baby cries again. The movie man stands up, crazed. All of you, shut up! Didn't you see the pre-movie clip where the smiling man's head peered out from the bucket of popcorn and said, shh, that means be quiet. When was that? I wasn't paying attention. Ah! Movie man completely loses it. He pours soot on the reviewer. Two thumbs up. Way up! He shoves the cell phone into cell fuck's mouth. Dude, your signal's breaking up. He pours popcorn on the mom and baby for the first time they're quiet. Mommy go nai-nai. Movie man stands there breathing. Usher enters. Sir, I've gotten several complaints about you. May I see your ticket? But, but, these people were the ones. Sir, this ticket is for the 130 show. You're in the 1230 show. You need to go to Auditorium C. Come on. The usher escorts the movie man out of the theater. I demand a refund. That man ruined this movie. And fades out. My name is Samantha Russell. I'm a sketch comedian, and I have a prop and costume hoarding problem. So I figured the best way to get it under control is to start a podcast. On Should I Keep This? I chat with other comedians about their experiences in comedy and our insane prop and costume collections. And on each episode, we both bring a beloved item to discuss whether it's a treasure or just trash. Sometimes it turns out no matter how much money or time we spent on a prop, the only thing we should be holding on to are the memories we've made along the way. So check out Should I Keep This? We have new episodes every two weeks available anywhere you get your podcasts. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Hey, Colin. Hey, what's up, Josh? How you All doing? right, so tell me how this, where this sketch comes from. Where did this idea... All right, well, I think it's a pretty universal idea, right? Uh, I think back so, in, yeah. Back at the turn of the century, movies were still very well-liked, right? Actually going to the cinema. <laughs> and it was... It's funny because now when I read this, it's so archaic a little bit because the concept isn't because people want to go see movies and not and they pay a bunch of money and it's a better experience, except when there's a bunch of jackasses in the audience. Yes. Right? But now the whole concept of people like paying attention, like you're if you try to make people pay attention, you're the asshole now. You know what I mean? Because people just like at least here in Florida and it was like it was like that in San Francisco as well. They're just like doing anything else. They go on their cell phones and you can see their screens brightly in the the theater, whatever. So now it's like this feels almost quaint you know, <laughs> to try to even fight it. And now that since COVID and with like the whole cinema industry on its like knees, you just like I want I love movies. I love going to the theater, you know, going to the cinema. It's my one of my favorite things in the world. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny. But this was like uh, I was living in Los Angeles, and I think I'd had this idea for quite a while, just because I'm I'm the kind of person that like I want to watch a movie and I don't want anyone to talk. Just 
you know, because I like to completely get absorbed into a movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why one of the best things about going to the cinema is because the lights go out. It's a building built entirely to watch movies, which is totally cool, right? Uh, I mean, if you're a movie fan, it's totally cool. But um, so then I was like, uh, I had a, this was when I was living in LA. And originally the, the, the ending was a lot more violent. I think I like, this was before any shootings in theaters. Okay. Now, and also I was a younger person. So I thought like violence was kind of funny, but now I think it's not funny. It would, I'm, I'm glad that like, it's like just a regular old. That we have the version where it's not. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so this was actually like part of my writing sample. I was trying to become, I had like a manager and he would submit me to auditions, but also as a writer for writing packets. So this is like the sanitized version of um, that sketch. And uh, it's uh, it's not not funny. I think this could be like, it's kind of funny if like we could like stage it and stuff. You ever go back and like look at your stuff and you're like, this is awful or, but this is kind of funny too, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's, there's certain like, things oh. I've learned that are definitely like, oh, these references would yes completely need to be updated like yeah like, absolutely the, but it's funny because you can also easily update some references right yeah. you see how like pop culture is the same every decade you can just plug in someone else into this like thing right yeah like uh we've probably done it on sketchy but i have a sketch about going to the baseball game yes i feel like it's technically difficult sketch to do so i've never done it live so every couple of years i just rename the players in it like <laughs> yeah that right. are no longer on the Phillies anymore exactly. so I, I have to go to the next guys right um was this ever performed live no I wanted to but this after I moved to LA I moved to LA in uh, August of 2001 and then of course 9-11 occurred right and in September like the uh, yeah. when was it it was 9-11 now we know that so it was <laughs> so Hollywood kind of shut down for like yeah. six months or so. And there was no real like pilot season that year or anything like that. <clears throat> so I don't know. It took a while. The other thing was like, there were already tons of people in the pipeline, right? Like when you move down to LA, you think you have no concept of that. There's like thousands of people already in the pipeline, right? Yeah. So you're going to like take your turn as one of the people and hopefully, hopefully like you can leapfrog up or whatever. But there, so if, if there's like a six month, shutdown of stuff then there's like a huge backlog right there's, you're never going to get like it's it's much harder to get the small auditions or whatever that um or even like shows plus i didn't know anybody in la really which was like a huge problem <laughs> you have to know a lot of people if i could ever like give any advice to like a young person or any old an old person even going to la i would say make sure you have like a bunch of friends and you can network and like you're not by yourself or like, yeah. you can do stuff because I didn't know anybody really. I mean, I knew like a couple of people, but it's also like a it's a spread out city, and like they lived in Silver Lake, and I lived in Santa Monica, so it was like you never saw them, right? So anyway, this was never performed live because I didn't have any sketch pals, you know, to do it with, and I'm I'm terrible at making friends, so I never, <laughs> never never did that. And, and I mean, we have to we have to be honest. This isn't a, your first sketch. This is just the oldest that you still have. Correct. Yes. Uh, so audience if you're listening i can't find any of the other sketches there's a there's like a golden era of fresh robot sketches where it was like we would perform them all the time in uh, san francisco and uh those are like really well honed and stuff like that so whatever this was one of the funny <laughs> this was a funny one it's funny this, is, this right? is the first sketch of your la period we'll, we'll go yeah, there exactly um yeah. all right so let's go all the way back to the beginning what were you into growing up like what do you have like an earliest memory of comedy Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, one of the things was SNL, and I know like that's cliche, of course, but it's half of what this podcast is, so it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like SNL is such a weird thing, right? Because it's so central to everyone's, every comedian's experience, really. But I remember when I was a kid, my mom would watch SNL, and then I would stay up, you know, late. And um, it was the original cast because that's how old I am. But I mean, like, and it's funny because when you go back and look at those sketches, they're so like rough. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit refreshing because it's not so polished. Yeah, everything's so polished now, and you can really see how it was like just this live theatrical experience that was kind of filmed, right? Ah, it's it's amazing. But and you can also see like all how the writing is really good or really bad, and also how the performances like push it through or like they're just kind of like whatever. But anyway, SNL. That first cast was great. And also Peter Sellers. 
I loved Peter Sellers and I still love Peter Sellers. I mean, he's a fan. He's maybe to me the greatest like character comedian ever, mm. even though he's like a terrible man. You know, right. as I was older, I read his like the um, Mr. Strangelove. I got it right here. How he was a terrible man. And but that's like I, I can't like stop. Like when I watch him, you know, he's like so good, even in the stupid movies like the Cluzo, like the later Cluzo movies are they're not that great. But his performance is still so funny. It just cracks me up. So yeah. those two guys. Oh, what's that movie called? Oh, um, one of my friends, Julia, like years ago, was talking about like how her family watched one of the, the Peter Sellers movie. It's the the party. Oh, the party. That's a real hot button. I love the party. And, and, and I, I, it, it randomly showed up streaming on one of the sites. I was like, yeah, yeah I'm going to check this out. Yeah. And I'm immediately like, oh, it's no. A, yes. That's it's that's uh real it's absolutely racist, right? You know, it's, it's like whoa, this is like shocking. But his characterization is he's he's he he you absolutely know he gets lost in his characters. He's insane if you read about him. He's like obviously kind of an insane guy. And um so whatever. <laughs> but it was just so startling to me because I think very startling. I don't think I've dug deep enough into peter sellers like i remember i've seen a couple of the pink panthers right i've seen strange love uh being there i've heard being there is oh, seminal and i have to amazing. do it yeah. i just haven't yet like but yeah well, like, it's funny because maybe he wouldn't be anymore i don't know you know what i mean like to me he was but you know how you go back and look at something that's and you see you can't really see what was there before right like if you go back yeah i i, I don't think i have that problem I think I'm okay. I, I I think I can like see that thing with it because I love mm. Buster Keat and I love you know. Oh, I was able to go all the way back. So and, good, yeah. So, and Chaplin. I mean, yeah. Those two guys, they're like you. You look at them and they're amazing, right? They're just like, how could they even do that back then? Especially, you know, because the the system of like now they can do anything. They can make even comedy. CG cheats everything, yeah. you know, and like, but before. You had to do it with makeup and a, like a performance that would come through the camera, which is really hard. Actually, Buster Keaton you know? had to do the math to figure out where to nail his shoes so that That's the amazing. front of the house <laughs> right would fall yes. around him. And if he didn't do it right, he would get really injured. Correct? Yeah, like yeah. We don't. We wouldn't do that now. No, absolutely. Oh, if you think about, I always think about the early days of Hollywood, and I think how fun it would have been. Like like also like exciting like nothing forget all the bad stuff whenever i talk whenever i wax poetic <laughs> about something i'm acknowledging bad things were also happening but i'm just thinking about the good stuff right like can you imagine just like it, basically it's like the internet or something this whole new world that they were creating in S southern california yeah. where it's just it's amazing to me it's so cool uh we were talking about snl and the original cast i asked everybody so i might as well ask it now yeah. um who's your favorite snl cast member all time that's a tough one because I love so many of them, but I can name like a handful of them. Well, I actually, there's one that's the most is Phil Hartman. Yeah. Phil Hartman's my favorite. Cause he's the closest. He's like a great, he's like a character comedian, right? He gets yeah. totally lost in characters. He can do anyone. And he's really funny too. He has like a natural comedic instinct. So some impressionists, if you watch them, they're just really good at an impression or creating, but they're not that funny, you know, but Phil Hartman was great at everything. He was a master and so, yeah, he, he's my favorite. But Eddie Murphy, definitely one of the top. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, of course, I love Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, those guys. Yeah. Um, Gilda Radner, awesome. Uh, I love um, Jan Hooks. She was awesome. She, like, it's always the thing of the history of SNL and, like, the women getting ignored. Yeah. Or ne never getting the laurels that they deserve. Like, right. But if yeah. you go back to that like late 80s sketch, oh. that, that late 80s cast. Yeah, that was a great cast. Like, that was Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey, John Lovitz, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, Nora Dunn, um, I think Kevin Nealon. And Kevin Nealon, oh Mike Myers God. starts sneaking in yeah, at like Mike 87, Myers. 88. Oh my like, God. Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's like the all-star team. Really, those guys were the, so funny. Until Adam Sandler came in which now i love adam which, sandler i love adam sandler now. but it, it really changes funny. the dynamic like absolutely. that whole that that new cast that started coming that. in like 1991 yeah, yeah. absolutely to me like that that late 80s cast we just mentioned is like sci-fi uh societal commentary but also absurd like steve martin mm -hmm. type stuff really good writing but then 
and which I, that's my favorite kind of comedy. But then when Adam Sandler comes in with uh, Jimmy Fallon, I think, or, or well, definitely Chris Farley, maybe Jimmy Fallon was later, but Chris yeah, Farley, Adam Sandler, David Spade, those guys, as much as I think they're funny and Chris Farley, especially, but I hated Adam Sandler at the time because he would never, <laughs> he couldn't act in sketches, right? But now I love, now I love his standup. He's a great, he's so hilarious. So whatever. I took sketch really seriously back then. And I would always get really mad if anyone would break character. And yeah. um, I would think, I can't, don't laugh. Like Jimmy Fallon especially would piss me off because he would always laugh at the joke. But I didn't hear the joke yet. So don't laugh at it until I <laughs> you, hear it. At least You're not allowed to preemptively right, exactly. enjoy the thing I haven't enjoyed yes, yet. Right. Just because you know it's coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I always hated that. So, but, all right. Um, what's your, like, your first entry into actually like performing and doing stuff well aside from like fooling around in front of family and stuff like that and being silly in class i was a big class clown fyi uh the first time okay because coming up leading up to this i did try to remember what the first thing that like got me hooked on performing in front of an audience may have been and it was when i think i was in like seventh grade and i was doing something stupid in the lunchroom and I had this, um, I had a jacket that zipped the arms off and became a vest. So I would take the arms off and I put it in my uh, glasses, the zipper. And so it hung on my face as like an elephant trunk. And then I, and then one of the yard duty teachers saw me and said, you get up on stage and do that in front of the whole class, the whole school. Right. And she thought probably, I think that I would be embarrassed. Right. But that was all it took, really, because everybody was laughing, right? <laughs> so I was like, this is great, because I was oh, mercilessly picked on. That was the other part. I was a big, like, nerd who, like, was picked on. But for one second, I was getting laughs from everybody. They couldn't help but laugh. And I guess that's the beauty of comedy, right? Anyone when, will laugh at you before they realize who you are or whatever. Like, the joke is... Controlling funny. why they're laughing at you or yes. with you. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Or even, like... I forget who said laugh. that. That's before not they can like decide they can't laugh at you like they don't like this guy but they're gonna laugh and then they'll then they'll not like you again but at least yeah. they're gonna laugh so but then the first time i ever did stand-up was um i was working at this movie theater in walnut creek and i would and i loved the movie die hard and i would always act it out all over the place i was like i was really annoying i'm sure as a teenager <laughs> it's like but everyone liked me funny but they laughed right but also i know i was wait i'm sure i was like they just want me to be quiet sometimes but anyway i'd always do die hard all over the place and do funny funny quote unquote things and then there was this comedian this guy in the uh in the lobby was saying hey you should do uh you should come down to the punchline and do a set and this he was a comedian so that was like the first time i ever you know decided huh i could probably do stand-up comedy or maybe i maybe that's what i should do with my my like need for attention and uh manic energy essentially do you remember anything from that first like oh attempt? the first set i ever did yeah it was the first set i ever did was a guy who worked at the theater also ran this like show like the entertainment section for this local college so he wanted me to do a set at his like talent show or whatever so i uh, did a diehard bit and i i hate I, I, prop comedy is not you know highly regarded but i didn't know that i was only like 18 or something so <laughs> i i built this whole fake terrorist out of like a shirt and i like stuffed it with newspaper or whatever and so i was gonna be i did a bruce willis like a diehard parody with like this i beat this terrorist up and then i did some silly um um uh, physical running and stuff like that and it, it you know it went well but that's because now i can see like you're just you're, when you're young you laugh at stuff like college students <laughs> they just they laugh, you know. Yeah. They have no, they don't think, you know. So stand-up was your first attempt into making people laugh on purpose. Yes, absolutely. How was, long before, like... I did sketches? Yeah, sketch comes in. Well, <laughs> that's so funny because as a stand-up, people always say, you should do sketches. Because, like, my stand-up was always, like, broke little playlists and sketches mm. and stuff, right? And that's a genre of stand-up, by the way. Absolutely. I, I can't, yeah, it's like Robin Williams does that kind of stuff, or used to do that kind of stuff. You know, like, it's a well-worn thing. Uh, so, but, like, the only thing is, because, can I just sidebar here? Because in Florida, in, in San Francisco, everybody loved all kinds of comedy, right? And they appreciated this weirdness that I had, 
even if it wasn't always like a hit or whatever, the, yeah. it, it was like a thing that was a thing, right? It wasn't like, what's this guy? He's not funny at all. But now in Florida, it's weird because I feel like when I'm doing the same thing, which is a well-worn comedy tradition of like uh, a character comedy and like little playlets, et cetera. They're like, what, what is this? Cause all they want is like, God, you, a guy that's like talking like in your face. It's always in your face here in Florida. But even if it's like, it's a guy in your face or if it's a girl in your face, we're in your face. But so it's like, I'm here in Florida. I'm like, do you guys understand the decades of history of comedy? There's more than just one kind of comedy. So anyway, that's my sidebar. Well, so, the, 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 you're right. Because like, I mean, you mentioned like how prop comics aren't necessarily because, you know, right. I grew up in the era of like where Carrot Top was yes. the prop comic. Oh, God. But he was also Absolutely. the punchline to every joke about prop comics. Yeah. yeah. And you so, know what? But he's, he's a multimillionaire in Vegas. Oh. He has this residency. He has a show. Yeah. He has a theater, right? Super successful. Yeah, I loved him. Like growing he's very up, very funny. Actually, that's just he's clever when you watch his show. And like, yeah, he's and clever like, and funny. Prop comedy has been a thing. Yes, absolutely forever. It's basically like, all these things get called hack bits. I think when they're used just like lazily or whatever, right? If you have a prop that's like funny or something, then you can use it. I don't know. That's like Mark Marin on his podcast always talks about the guitar guys. Like yeah. the stand-ups that bring a guitar on stage. Excuse me, Adam Sandler and Jimmy Fallon, they're both hilarious. And but then even going back, like Steve Martin had a ban- banjo. Oh, Steve Martin, the, yeah. The well, Smothers it, Brothers had their music part. Like absolutely. it's always been a piece of this. And, and song parodies are always ridiculed, but they're one of the funniest things. And we all love them. Every time you hear a song parody, you're like, ha in a movie, right? Or whatever. It's funny. So I think there's a lot of like snarky, like snootiness. And I'm, I'm, I've also been that way. But like, if you look at, if you're going to talk about like song parodies, like silliness, prop comedy, then you're going to talk about Steve Martin, who is one of the greatest comics ever. Right. And so mm-hmm. you can't make fun of that shit. If also Steve Martin does it. Right. Yeah. Steve Martin <laughs> has a banjo and an arrow through his head. Right. He's already crossing off two of those things. Yes. Like, Yeah. So I don't know. Comedy is a weird thing. It's weird. But so anyway, people said I should do sketchy. Com- I they said I should do sketches, and then it was actually Spiegelman. I think I don't. I really don't know how I started to like just decide I should do sketches. But I'm pretty sure Spiegelman was the one who said something like, "Oh no, no, it was our friend of ours, Kurt Weitzman in San Francisco. I think he had a sketch group that we just did some sketches with. But then me and Spiegelman, we got along because I don't know why, but we did. <laughs> so I mean, we have similar. We're we're really good when we write together. I think we can bounce each, ideas off each other, and like we both think we're funny. So that's a really important thing if you have like a sketch writing partner, right? So if you are stuck on something, they can take it, or they can have an idea, and you can it like spark something in you, right? Yeah. So then we just decided to write sketches, and at that point, there was a comic who was new in San Francisco named Al Madrigal, right? And I'm like highly insecure and like always hate everybody new. So I was like, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> but Spiegel was like, no, no, come on. Uh, Al, Al's really funny. We got to use him. We got to have him in our sketch group. So then it was me, Spiegelman and Al and the friend of ours, Mike Strong, who was a comic as well. And so we started doing sketches. And the weirdest thing was like we we were a, this group called the Fresh Robots. And it was it was a popular thing. It was the weirdest thing. Like, I don't know. I. I it was so strange. So like for like three or so years in the late nineties, we would sell out the punchline, right? Which was the best, which is one of the best clubs. I love the punchline. That's like mm. the greatest club. It's got a great feel to it, but um, so it was, it was fun, you know? And, and then the funny thing is it's really, I mean, you probably know this writing sketch comedy is, is more difficult and keeping a sketch group together is a lot more difficult than just doing stand up because yeah. it's like, it's so many schedules and so many personalities and it's like each show we always thought each show was going to be the last one because it was just so annoying and hard right so i've always joked that like one of the hardest part of finding a sketch comedy team is making sure everyone's schedules gel like yes Uh, it's 
well fortunately we were like all in our 20s so we didn't have right. too many and that i, I feel like that's a on. thing is like yeah early 20s when it's, it's a young man's game definitely just work and stuff you have plenty yeah. of time once families yeah. get involved like but oh, that's God. an issue that we're kind of dealing with here in philadelphia is that like a lot of our sketch comedians have started getting married and having kids yeah so and it's like well the thing is like if it was a lucrative source of income then it wouldn't be a problem Right, exactly. But if like you have a job and then you're going to devote like your free time that you sh- want to swim into to this sketch comedy, which is awesome. But a lot of times, you know how it is. There's nobody. In, I don't know. Maybe it's different in Philadelphia, but sometimes we'd have shows where there's like nobody showed up. Right. It's, it's like you're like, why did I spend all this time and effort on this thing? But it yeah. does matter. It does matter. Absolutely. It's a up. very it can be a very expensive and non lucrative yes. hobby yes. and frustrating. Yeah. Hobby. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel like with comedy right now. I'm like, you know, I'm getting much older than I even was back then. But it's like, what am I going to do? Like, how how long should you? I don't know how old you are. I'm like older than you, I think. But I feel like I'm, how long? I'm is 37. It? Okay, I'm older than that by a healthy. Uh, chunk. But, but the thing is, like, I don't. I don't think people lose their funniness, right? Like, if you look at Steve Martin, Martin Short, those guys, they're still very funny, but they're successful, right? So they've already yes. gotten into that pathway. You get up in the slipstream. For a person like me, how long do you want to do it? Like, wh- at what point is it like just embarrassing or right. is it still noble to fight on? You know, right. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that is very much a, a thought piece for a lot of people. <laughs> like, right. or like it, as you get more successful in your, uh, like, it's weird to say it this way, but like your civilian life. Yes, civilian like, is the word I use too, by if, the way. You know, your 40 hour a week job, Absolutely. you're doing well. Yeah. Wife and kids and it's at fine. home. Like, it's it, fine too, you know. <laughs> um, it, it is difficult. Okay, so your first like four way into sketch basically is right into Fresh Robots. Yes. It was really fun. Well, Al Al's great at like Al is and was great at like um networking, right? And I'm terrible at it. I'm like I have a joke where like one of my jokes is that i make a terrible first impression and if that you don't that doesn't make sense to you then fuck you right because i'm just <laughs> i don't know what it is i i just don't have a pleasant demeanor when people meet me later on they tend to like me but for the for like a while it takes rocky. To, it takes to warm up to you it does absolutely and i'm like super old so i don't know what i can do now to change that or if i even need to but i, I mean, definitely it's it's definitely one of the like things if i could change something i would but anyway so al is great at networking and Spiegelman is very friendly. You know, he's like a lovable guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then I let them handle everything. <laughs> but So, so we would get these, uh, we would like, there was a great scene in the late nineties of this, uh, a couple of like theater spaces and comedy room, you know, I mean, you know, after like the eighties comedy bust, you know, early, early nineties, all these clubs closed, but then there was still all this underground stuff. And it was a great time for like alternative comedy because right. that was like the thing, which was like Yeah, the clubs close alternative rows. Yes, exactly. And and Patton Oswald had just left SF and Janine Garofalo. Actually, I lived in the house where like uh Patton and Janine and all these people would hang out. So, you know, Ron Lynch, he's on um Bob's yeah. Burgers. It was his, he was the guy on the lease and he would rent it out to comedians. So that's where I lived. So I was in like this pipeline of alternative comedy, right? Which was which was exactly where I wanted to be. And um, so that was kind of cool, right? But I don't know if you remember being in your 20s or you're more like insecure and like you feel like everything, it's like a fight. Everyone's, you want to fight everybody who's trying to do the same thing that you want to do, right? Now I feel like I would I would want to like be more camaraderie with people. And yeah. But whatever. It, it I think like it's a, funny. Like I, I, I feel like it's almost uh, a character flaw of my own. I don't know if other people have it, but like I tend not to like people that like the same thing as me oh god i hate that <laughs> yeah and then and then people you know go oh they do this they do a sketch comedy you're gonna get on with them and you're like no i don't want to see a sketch comic that's i want to see someone who's like an accountant that's who i can talk to you know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. like, I, like i can just think of like going to like soccer games and like being surrounded by soccer fans but still thinking that they're like jerks around me yes because they're too into it that's exactly even though i am just I am. as much yes because it's threatening, I think, is what that's what I've deduced about myself, is, at least, is like they may be better at it or like I'm the one who wants to be the like knowledge base of that or the best person at that. And if there's someone else around who's also good at that, that's like a threat. But oh, it's interesting. That's, that's just how I that's how I got, went at the world. 
and still do to some extent but it's like that's a battle to like stop that you know what i mean like if you're if so have like in addition to like parallel to like trying to make it in comedy is also like trying to become a better person and one of the things is like <laughs> try not to like see the world as like a, a zero-sum game right or if someone else makes it then good that's yeah. great i mean good for them you know so yeah uh, okay so a couple years of fresh robot in san francisco yeah and that was really uh, intense it was like the, that was the most exciting time that was a great time for me personally because i also did the voice for this like uh some video games and like i felt like i was like on the pathway to something you know like i felt like my career was uh, ascending or like mm. i had like something right and then um then like i guess for some reason uh i moved to la in 2001 i guess it was about about time i'd been like uh hip pocketed by this talent agent in los angeles which was a great talent agent the one i wanted to actually because he was like he had represented lots of people that i like looked like you know like Patton oswald etc the mr show mr show if, yeah. if I could, the the '90s were Mr. Show for me. I love Mr. Show, and there's it's funny because I look at a lot of sketches, and I still to this day think that's a Mr. Show sketch. I thought of something without knowing it. I didn't think about it, but I wrote something <laughs> that was exactly what a Mr. Show sketch also was. So Mr. Show like informed a lot of my comedy in the, in the '90s and beyond. So so then I moved to LA and um, immediately fell off the face of the planet. <laughs> like what were you doing anything in LA like because I don't because that was even before I mean you said you moved in 01 right before 9-11 yes. before so that YouTube. was YouTube before YouTube before like the the comedy theaters like UCB yeah and those well, kind of things was start actually go- just starting yeah but like was were they already in out like did they have no, an LA branch then they didn't have like the groundlings were the ones that were in LA. the groundlings yeah. were the big LA thing yes yeah. and hundred and yes and also second city where they do, sometimes would do stuff out in LA, you know, but this was before UCB groundlings and, and, and I mean, second city had like a firmly established beachheads in LA as like a, you know, now it's like a thing, right. It's yeah. like college, but, and I, I 100%, that's another huge flaw. My career is like equal parts. Like I got fucked up. I got like screwed, but also I made huge mistakes and you got to admit your mistakes. One of the things is that I didn't like join the groundlings or something like that. And that's another thing. Cause I, where it's like, I don't want to be around a bunch of sketch comics, right? Like that sounds awful <laughs> to me, but, and also, also stand up comics. I, I, I can't hang out. Like comedy is so hard because you drive all over and you spend like hours, right? For like five minutes of mediocre at best stage time, yeah. usually, right? And then you're hanging out with people, like a bunch of people that I don't want to, and I don't smoke pot, right? And so a lot of comics smoke pot. And I understand this, like when you're stoned, you don't want to be around a straight person at all. And when you're straight, you don't want to be around a stone person. So like right there, it's like- You're you know, you're already out of it. Like Yeah, exactly. I'm out of the loop. So I know, since I'm not like a- I'm also not like an ingratiating guy who like can enter into any world. So I didn't really make a lot of friends in LA. I had my friends from SF that tolerated me and we, and I still, <laughs> you know, I did pretty well cause I got a lot of auditions and, but I wish I, I just, oh, I should have joined the groundlings. I should have just gone out all the time. Cause I didn't have kids and I wasn't married. My wife was like doing her own thing. We absolutely could have done that. Right. Mm. But I just, that was my own fault is absolutely. I, I could have like uh but I still, you know, made some friends and um, it was good. It was okay. It was so, a horrible time. <laughs> so in the last episode, I had talked to Mike. And so it seemed, if I'm, if my math is correct, you all do the first SS Sketch Fest. Yes. Before you, that right before you moved down, roughly. Yeah, I think I had, I think I had moved down and then it was that like four months after or something like, it was really close to that. Yes. And that was great. That was so fun. It was six groups. It was only like one weekend or, or maybe a couple nights even. And it was in this small theater. And it was the Fresh Robots. So it was basically all the sketches we knew, right? And I don't, you know how like when you know a sketch really well and you know when it's going to get a laugh, et cetera, and you're like mm-hmm. just having fun acting and stuff like that. So instead of like when you're when you don't know if a sketch is going to fly, if you've never done it, don't you like you're like, eh, I'm looking around for these lines. Where's where it going to get a laugh? <laughs> right. I hate that feeling, right? But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I came back up and did that, and then um, 
that was fun. I think that was like the last time the robots really did anything, really. What did Mike mm. say? Did he agree with that? I think we so. did one show in Los Angeles. That's all I know. And that was a good show. But <laughs> I mean, as you know, it's hard to keep a sketch group together, especially like Al. Al was like a meteor, right? He like, or, or a rocket. He took off really yeah. fast. And um, so once someone takes off, like, what are you going to do? They got to, they have tons of stuff they need to do, right? So, right. And that's the, that's the other thing worse, that like kills right? a sketch team is yeah, one person getting yes absolutely. other opportunities right so how long are you in la trying to grind trying to do things well it was it ended up being three years and actually a lot was accomplished in those three years so you know i can't really complain and i still there's some parts of me that like la is so cool in some parts in some like ways and it's hard in other ways and like i always remember what michael douglas said you never, never go down to LA if you don't have work. You should always move down there if you've already got work. And like, that's exactly how, like he, I, I wish I had heeded his advice. Cause I, we kind of went down like a, on the spur of the moment and I didn't have any work. So it was like always a struggle. It's already a struggle. Like if you're auditioning all the time, you know, it's mm -hmm. just a grind. And, uh, but you know, auditioning is great because you get better at it and you learn from your mistakes, hopefully. And then eventually I did, you know, during like the last, so I was there from 2001, like, I think like 2004, uh, October was when I moved back to SF. So I, I, during that last year in like 2003, I got an audition for SNL. Right. And that was like the biggest thing in the world. Cause that's, that's basically a lot of, a lot of people say like SNL this, but like, that's all I wanted to do. My whole career was be on SNL. So right? you got all like, you got an audition. You got like the showcase. Yes, I got, well, where I, people I from this, SNL would have been there. Uh, Lauren Michaels and Tina Fey were there. Yeah. It was a huge thing. Okay. And, we're going to talk about this for like an hour. <laughs> but didn't, didn't speak on my, <laughs> well, the thing is like, I had done this. Okay. There are many things to say at this point. My manager who is like a source of consternation for me was absolutely right about everything he said as well, which is also <laughs> a source of frustration. But one of the things he said was that you got to run this show, run whatever show, craft a show of like 30 minutes and then always run it, run it around, run it off Broadway, et cetera. So then I just did what he did. I did what he said, but I was like always grousing, but he was absolutely right. And so I was the white guy that does impressions. That's what my thing was at the time. And this was before YouTube, mind you, where like there's a billion people who just like do impressions all over the place, right? This it was still kind of unique to do impressions, and and I did like several that were like um, not no one else did. So I did this show for like a year around, and it was like, polishing it, right? It was it was getting pretty good, and so then we eventually we edited it down, whatever, and then sent it to you know send it off. You know, he had like several clients, so he would. It, all these agents every year they just submit some packages SNL, right yeah absolutely yeah. so there's probably like hundreds maybe i don't know maybe a thousand people maybe so th then they call me and the thing is they they want to do a, a showcase they want to call me they're going to call me to new york to do a set at the 30 rock right which is like the the, the vaunted thing right that's like yeah. you shit your pants man i'm gonna get a set because you've seen like dana carvey's other jeff richards set yeah you know they go on the stage and do their five minute bits or whatever and um that's like that's like great right like it's yeah, so to stand exciting. there on home base it's, yes i know oh my god do it yeah it's like the, the dream right there right or the beginning of the dream and so then they fly me out to new york and um it, it, then they then they're gonna they decide they're gonna like they have like too many people so they need to whittle them down which is like not what you want to hear right because <laughs> you're like what i might get cut at this point but whatever whatever i mean you're in for a pound in for uh in for a penny in for a pound right and by that time i'd had like years of like auditions my heat shield was like that's one thing i don't have anymore is a heat shield like if it goes bad i'm like uh but before i was like i'm a robot i don't care i'm just gonna do my thing and i'm not gonna get screwed up by stuff but so then there's going to be a, a a showcase at this comedy club in New York uh, the night before. And if whoever makes it past that, whoever makes the cut, will go to okay. 30 Rock the next day and get their audition there. So um, am I, is this boring? Should no. I, okay. So it's this really cool, tiny club. Uh, like, I don't remember where it was, but it was probably not even there anymore. I don't think I've looked it up. But um, uh, it's this like tiny club and it's like the audience is like super hot. And uh, there's some really funny people, 
but uh it's i'm about to i'm like number eight and then it right at like number seven chris rock comes in and he wants to do a set right so i'm gonna get like bumped back a little bit because chris rock wants to do a set which is like holy shit chris rock you know and like oh, oh also in the in this comedy club is lauren michaels tina fey uh mike shoemaker steve higgins all of these producers for snl right marcy klein yeah. the casting director so and they're in this tiny club it's so strange to me this is it's weird because like my life today is so different than that i can't hardly believe that it's like the same person but anyway it did happen <laughs> so so chris rock is like killing it as you know he would because he's hilarious and in a small room his energy is like bam and so, and I, i'm gonna have to follow chris rock which is like it could go either way right so uh he gets off stage the thunderous applause and um i'm just it's like i don't really i can't remember my mindset because i can't imagine being so mentally strong that I could do this but I'm just like I'm gonna do my thinking I'm gonna do my thing I got my set down it's like a seven minute set and I've been doing it for a long time for like a year I know that's that's what it is if you rehearse your lines you just know what you're gonna do and you're confident in that part right so yep. you can only do what you can do so then I get on stage and it's like a really tiny stage and I, I was super physical and I almost fell off but I didn't let it stop me so then I just I didn't let it throw me. And I think the audience really respected that. No, I don't know. I'm a, but so I was, did my thing, whatever it was. And it went really well. And I think it partly was because Chris Rock had like blown so much energy into the room, right? They, they were just so amped up. And they're probably really excited because they're going to, the audience knew it was the SNL like pre-audition. So the audience would be like, these guys, some of these people could be like on SNL. They're excited, right? It's it's fun for them. So it was, it was a really good set and then at the end you know like tina Fey said oh very good set great set and lauren michaels even mentioned it was a good set uh so i mean and to have him say anything at all is like a really good that, thing right that was a, what i was thinking when you said that i was like wait right. he talked good like set. right yes it was a good set mm, very nice so <laughs> oh god see this is what i'm gonna worry about this is all true i swear to god i want you to know this i'm not exaggerating one single bit but if like someone, I don't want Lauren Michaels to see this, but anyway, or hear this, but anyway, it's the truth. I swear to God, and I'll back it up. Uh, so then, then the next, like a, like a half an hour later, my manager calls and says, Oh, you made the cut, buddy. It's great. Huh? So I made the cut and go the next day to 30 rock, which is like, that's <laughs> you, you know, it's studio eight H you go into the Rockefeller Plaza, Rockefeller center. And, and like, I get to go to the security and and say I'm going to audition for SNL, and so you go. Up, I went up to the elevator, and then opens up on the hallway with all of the headshots, which is just like, you know, my head is exploding, right? It's hallowed it's ground. Exploding, yes. There's no more hallowed ground in American comedy, pretty much, than SNL, the Hollywood yeah. SNL, right? Uh, I mean, there might be other things that are additionally as good, but like for so many decades, SNL but yeah, nothing been has like, been in the same place for no, the last 50 years. Absolutely. It's an institution and not, and it's not like a crusty institution either. It still is funny and it still like changes and, you know, yep. but anyway, so at that time I was like, at, at the time I was like a little bit young and I was trying to be cool and I had long hair. Cause I was like trying to, I like rock and roll anyway. <laughs> so, so I was like, that was just my, my thing. Right. And uh, Jimmy Fallon was going to leave. And so I think they were looking for like some youngish guy to be like the funny impression guy, uh, bubbly, you know, which I'm not, I'm not bubbly at all. Jimmy <laughs> Fallon's like charming. Right. But I'm, I'm not charming. Um, I'm leaden unless I'm being like doing a bit. I'm leaden. Uh, so, so then they, they put me in Jimmy Fallon's dressing room. Right. Which was like, is a big dressing room for dressing room purposes but it's like that's a total trip to me and then then the, the producers come in and talk to me and uh, you know say blah 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 and so then you know i'm waiting for hours in there because they just have they they, they i don't think they try to make you wait but they don't not make you wait right they yeah. don't ever think like you might need to go somewhere or whatever but uh so then i go uh, onto the stage and I, this is so weird because like i have like gaps in my memory i gotta start i gotta drill back into there and try to remember this but i do my thing and i'm i'm wearing my like cool rock and roll t-shirt with long hair <laughs> but uh and so i'm doing like the bits right and i hear i hear lauren michaels he laughs he laughs at least once i know that and i think twice okay and that's like incredible right so to even have him like do anything right based on everything we know about him yeah so so then uh 
then they I, I and then like you know you get I got off stage and like it was a complete like there was nobody there like they it was like a dark room dark stage dark audience area a couple of people there and it, like I don't know if you've ever done that where like you do your whole bit and there's like nobody in the room but whatever it's like airless right you have to like power through it yourself but they they were laughing oh the crew was laughing that was another thing the crew was laughing was, that's good uh, and then then I go. And I sit around again in a room and then Tina Fey and, and uh, Steve Higgins come in and Mike Shoemaker, like the, and Andrew Steele, who was like the other head writer, they're all talking to me and, and like, uh, this is, this happened. At least it happened as far as I remember. But uh, Steve Higgins said, you know, it's so rare that we find someone who's really funny. And so I'm like, oh my God. And my internally, I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I must've done a good job. I might be uh, in line to go on it. And then, uh, <clears throat> You know, Tina Fey, I think she was going to leave anyway, but she's, oh, by the way, Tina Fey is my favorite writer. She's like the greatest, right? She's one of the greatest comedy writers of the 20th century. In my opinion, I love her. Like like Sid Caesar or Mel Brooks yeah. or, or Woody Allen, who he who must not be named. But they're, as far as comedy writing goes, those was so funny, right? So to have their, like, have those people act like I was like, even in the running or like fine, right? Then um that was very exciting. So then, uh, I go somehow. I'm, I'm back at the hotel, and uh, guests at the fabulous Ian Schrager's Hudson Hotel. So uh, I'm staying there, and then they call me every day. It's like you don't know if you're going to be called back again. So, so then they call me, and tomorrow, the next day, I'm going to go see Lauren at uh, the, the studio, right? And, and I, or or something. I, I can't remember the time. All I know is there's one thing later that I, that the time might collapse or something. Well, anyway. I'm going to go see Lauren. And then, <clears throat> so I go see, go to the next day to Studio 8H and uh, Lauren is there. I'm totally stressed out to meet Lauren because I, I had read, I had read Live from New York, that book, right before having my, mm. have you ever read that book? Where it's like uh, the verbal yeah. history. And all it is, is like, there's many stories about Lauren, like fucking with people, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like all the, so that was not probably the best book to read before I would go see him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But I'm an idiot and I'm always do the worst possible thing. So, uh, so I'm in there and like the, the Marcy Klein's assistant, I can't remember her name, but she was very nice. And, you know, she's there, you know, I see you're waiting for Lauren Michaels. And, and so then I go in to, to see Lauren and I'm sitting there. This is the trippiest thing to, to remember this, man. I, I swear to God. And so I'm like, I better be funny. And I'm not funny though. See, the thing about me is like for decades, I always hated how comedians would like always be on, right? And I would always say, I'm not going to be the comedian who's always on. I'm just going to be calm. And then when I'm on stage, I'm going to be really funny. But in reality, I'm just not going to be funny. And that was a huge mistake. It was like a strategic and tactical error. Because well, what well, uh, Christopher Guest? Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's like very that. much yes. like that's my job. Absolutely. That's yes. that's not what my life is like. Right, and it's also annoying to people. I don't need like, to entertain you when I'm like you're. The comedian like doing their shtick in yeah. their live, right? It's it's annoying. So anyway, Lauren was talking to me, and I didn't say anything interesting. And he and he said, "Do you always style your hair like that?" <laughs> because my hair was like long, right, like Jack White. I was trying to do like white stripes kind of hair. But uh, what what I now then he then he uh, then Mike Shoemaker came and said, "We're gonna have dinner. You want me to order you something?" And I think that was like. I was supposed to leave or something like that, but then I outstayed my welcome. It was kind of awkward. Whatever. I was just like, I, you read about how like other people did funny things in the room, but I did nothing funny in the room. And I also didn't like have anything witty to say. So whatever. So I think like I totally like wasn't shiny at that moment when I like, but, but to me, that's like fine because, but maybe it's not fine. See, you want to be funny on stage. But I guess like when you're in the room with someone like that, you're also that's also on stage kind of right. You have to like sell yourself. Yeah, cause I'm trying to remember because as you say that, uh, that I listened to I listened to a podcast recently where they were like, yeah, when you get to that that final stage yeah. of that audition process for SNL, there's the last part. They're just making sure that you're not a, a lunatic, right? Like to be around. Yeah, that's like, what I thought. That's what I thought. And I thought I was, but maybe I didn't put on a good face. I don't know, whatever. I Because I thought, I don't want to be like a lunatic. But if you think about it, there's plenty of people who have been lunatics and they're funny and it's all been fine. So whatever. 
Like, I don't you know, know. That, that chemistry, like, are you going to fit in? Yes. In our environment here. And that's where I always. So you, met, you, met, you just fumbled it on that last. Absolutely. I totally fumbled it at the last minute. And I thought they, but then like, that, then they called me again the next day to meet the costume guy. Right. And that's where I think I really failed it. Cause I didn't. Well, for, this is like a, I think I have, I have a bulby nose, like a bulby Irish nose. And I don't think that's good for like makeup right so whatever maybe he didn't think he could do like george w bush's nose because i did a i did a good george w bush at that point and so whatever <laughs> whatever i didn't get hired right basically <laughs> but uh but i have like um you know a cool story yeah right <laughs> and tons of people haven't been hired by fresnel so yeah like, absolutely like jennifer aniston you're you're on a pretty Jim illustrious Carey. list yes exactly i'm one of the top people who didn't go on <laughs> uh, yeah. you might you you broke into it a, a bit ago with Michael Douglas, so I want to talk about impressions because I think you're the first person I've talked to on this podcast that actually has a strength with impressions. Really? Where did where did that come from? Where did you first discover that yeah thing that you can do? Well, the first time was uh, as a kid. Like I was like a I was kind of like a lonely kid, you know, like because I would always watch TV. I didn't really have any friends and I didn't have like a dad figure at the time. So I would just like watch TV and it was Star Trek con. Uh yeah, you know, of course William Shatner. It's like a hack bit, but it doesn't matter because it's like that's still great. That's great. And you know, all the characters there. Uh but then also Michael Caine. I would always do Michael Caine because he was in all these genre movies from that time period that were terrible. Like, you know, The Swarm raised the Titanic. All kinds of stuff. Uh, the basic killed Paul's mother and father at back and they headed Rafi Houston, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so I would just like walk around doing those voices. Basically, I would try to like live in another world, essentially. And um, mm. and so, you know, that's why I love Peter Sellers, because I could tell he also lived in another world. It wasn't just that he was doing the voice. It was that he was like inhabiting a character. And right. That was... I, 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 that's what I was thinking. Like you were in, living in another world, not necessarily inhabiting an original character. Right. But you were exactly. holding on to. Yes. I was like, probably like, it's the classic. A voice cliche. that you were familiar with. Yes. Of like, if if like, say Captain Kirk, right? He always manages to like, figure out what to do, right? So that's the kind of shit as a kid, you're like, I want to do like that. I want to be like that. So, yeah. And so then, and then people thought I was good at it. And which, of course, that's all you need, especially when you're a kid, like a class clown. So then I just like, and then when Die Hard came out, actually, Die Hard was a huge, like, because I love Die Hard, right? And I never really put that much, like, thought into, like, crafting impressions for the purpose of doing voices or whatever. I just would like to do it for parties and, and like, with my friends and stuff like that. But when Die Hard came out, man, I, I saw Die Hard so many fucking times, huh? I saw Die Hard so many times that I would just, I would, I would pretty much spent the summer of 88 as Bruce Willis, and, and which is the weirdest thing. Like, I wanted to be John McClane. And so that's really that's when I when when that comedian came to the lobby and said you should do stuff etc. That's kind of like the blossoming of Colin was when. See, I think it's funny that you you went with John McClane mm -hmm. when I I would have thought it'd been more fun to to be yeah like yes like Alan Rickman McClane I have some news for you McClane yeah Alan Rickman's but see as an but as a teenage boy, like Bruce Willis sure. and that character, because he wasn't like Schwarzenegger or Stallone at the time. And they were like these robots. I love those guys. But like McClane was like a regular guy, basically. He, uh, right. right. Like with a quick wit and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So it was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're fast forwarding a bit. You now live yeah. in Florida and uh, you and yeah. and Mike still have this creative partnership. And I was born 20 something years ago with fresh robots. <laughs> yes. So what is how have you survived being creatively tied to someone who lives on the other side of the country? Well, fortunately, technology does help. But also, like, first off, I think we've been through a lot. We've been through like decades where also like a lot of fights. And I don't know if you have creative partners or you just like we would always fight right so we basically know each other's things that are gonna and so now we just kind of like uh, ignore them mm. the things that are going to cause problems so plus we're we're kind of the same age and we both have kids 
So there's like some like a shared like reality kind of so we can commiserate about stuff, but uh, definitely technology. And also, I think Mike is really funny. You know, he like he thinks of really funny concepts and he can like uh, see into stuff. So we just hit it off kind of. But uh, I remember like one time Kamau, W. Kamau Bell also was in the Fresh Robots for a period of time. And uh, at some like when I moved back to to San Francisco, he was like, man, you know, Colin, you're going to be like, uh, you're always going to have Spiegelman with you. <laughs> you guys are going to be <laughs> together forever, you know? And I was like, fuck you, Kamal. It's a terrible <laughs> thing to say. No, but <clears throat> the truth is, it's true. I, I, It is because we have some kind of like thing that like just gels. So, and I think it's pretty funny. A lot of times it's funny. Sometimes it's not, right? <laughs> you can't so, so basically what you're saying is Kamal cursed you with cursed you. Yeah, it's like a gypsy <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's be a for that. <laughs> uh at, at the this week's uh upcoming sf sketch fest great difficulties is performing with uh please leave the bronx yes. as a celebration of you know that original one but you're yeah. also performing by yourself yes a solo show yeah what what is your train of thought when it comes to your own material versus stuff for you and Mike together? Well, solo material is just like obviously more direct and like um, first person, but I still do the same kind of bits that I do with like a commercial parody, et cetera, those kind of things. But with with Spiegelman, with, when we're doing sketches, we can bounce each other, bounce ideas, bounce like the, the dialogue off each other, right? So it's a lot funnier. Um, well, it's not like funnier, but it's a completely different thing. So I think like with with sketch, it's like you can tell a more a narrative, I think. Yeah. You know, you can you can tell you can make a movie kind of if you wanted to, you know, even though like that's technically difficult, but you can use sound effects and stuff like that. But you can really tell a story. And actually, that's kind of how I wanted to in in for solo stuff. In, in 2013, I was like, I kind of realized, you know what? I'm never going to be in movies. So probably, I mean, you never say never, but like the odds are not that I'm not going to be like in movies, right? And I have like all these ideas for movies. So I'm just going to like make them as one man shows, which is basically what I do now. So basically that's like, that's kind of what like, solo shows are. To mm. me. It's like, it's a quasi sketch thing, honestly, where I play more character, like a lot of characters. But so with Spiegelman, it's like me and him, we just like we can get the repartee going, you know, like zing each other, bounce yeah. ideas off each other. It's a different, just a different rhythm. Like, yeah, absolutely. The person there. Yeah. Wind down. I ask the same two questions to everybody. Um, first off, is there any advice that you would give to? I mean, you've dropped a few things earlier <laughs> Nuggets, throughout. Yeah, any absolutely. advice that you would give to a new sketch comedy writer? Yes, absolutely. This is one of the first things I ever tried to figure out was that don't worry about like, success so much right just try to like learn how to write the jokes and like all that kind of stuff and like just basically write all the time that's basically it like yeah. if you can write all the time then you'll get so much better it'll you'll get better faster right basically practice makes perfect it's that old dumb uh you know platitude practice make perfect it does maybe not perfect but whatever practice makes you really good at something so mm. That's it. And also then perform as much as you can, because then there's two there's two pillars to sketch comedy that I think. What do you, you tell me? First of all, it's the writing. You got to write, 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 but then also perform so that you can hear how that stuff is on stage. Right. How does it sound coming out of your mouth? Yeah. And that's the same with comedy. You never know how it's going to when it's on the page. You might think it's funny. Then it comes out of your mouth and it's like, oh, that was not at all how I thought it was going to sound or whatever. So and we also kind of dipped a bit this about like not being bitter about getting older now you're you know in yeah. florida with a whole different crowd like uh, you know, of in your face comedians and stuff yeah, but, like, in your face man um, backwards but, hat <laughs> but still doing it the way you want to do it but like why comedy you've been doing stuff in the comedy world i'm gonna say over 30 years at this point yeah since we're using say. die mm -hmm. hard as a reference point yeah yeah so why is comedy taken such a hold on your life oh it's a malady it's an illness a poison no uh <laughs> i don't know well that's the whole thing about um the way i think nowadays is like 
at what point i mean i truly believe like you're never too old to be funny or you're never told to like rock out or whatever like if you're a guitarist or something like that but then at what point does it look embarrassing to do what you're doing i don't want to do that but i don't know i, I guess i still have this like i don't want to say fire but i do have like a uh, I got to get that joke out. I got to get that vindication or validation that I was right about that joke. That sounds so petty, right? But it's when you when you get a joke off and you th you think, I, I thought that was going to get a laugh and then it did. That is like the best feeling for me. <laughs> I don't know, you know? Yeah. You, so I guess you don't, want, you don't just want the laugh. You want. No, I want to be proven right. And that's <laughs> right. a big problem. <laughs> that's a big problem. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I don't, I know people have said, like, people have said in the past, you know, like the whole selfish thing of like, oh, yeah, I want people to look at me and laugh at, like, laugh with me. Yeah, like, right. I don't, I don't know that, that if I've heard vindication yet. <laughs> yeah, well, really? As, oh, a, wow. as a reason. So maybe it's oh, the first yeah. time I have to go back and double check. Uh, yeah, that's weird. I mean, that sounds, sounds <laughs> not that pleasant, but it's not like I just, I guess it's not because I want to rub it in anyone's face. I just want to go for my own self. Yes, I, I was right about that. Okay, I'm not right, crazy. Right, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yes, that's right. It's not an evil vindication. It's a... No, not at all. Not at all. Thanks, Colin. Cool. Thanks, Josh. During SF Sketchfest this weekend, Colin is doing a solo show called Colin Mahan Himself on Friday, February 3rd at the Piano Fight Second Stage along with Gold Baby from LA and Strong Male Leads from Austin, Texas. The Great Difficulties, Colin's duo with Mike Spiegelman, will be performing along with Please Leave the Bronx on Sunday, February 5th at 8 p.m. at Piano Fight. Info for both of those shows can be found at sfsketchfest.com. Colin's website is Meet Colin Mahan, and that's Meet, spelled M-E-A-T. And remember, if you live in the Philadelphia area, we're doing a live Sketchy Bader at Tattooed Moms on Sunday, February 19th at 2 p.m. All the info on Sketchy Bader is at sketchybader.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. I mean, everybody is hysterical and talented. Everyone I've ever met and worked with is just great. I love, they're so, so funny. <laughs>